Welcome to the Cleaning and Crime Podcast. My name is Elise, and if you're wondering about the name, (laughs) I love to listen to true crime while I clean. So because cleaning and true crime are my two loves, I've combined the two. And every week I post a new whole house cleaning motivation video on my YouTube channel, See Elise. And in the corner of the video, I'm in a little bubble telling you about a true crime case that's interesting to me. So cleaning and crime. But for some, the cleaning footage is too distracting. Or some people just prefer to listen to their true crime and not watch it. If you want to check out the video version of today's story, be sure to check out my YouTube channel and you'll find a playlist of all of my cleaning and crime episodes. But if you just came here for the crime and not the cleaning, you're in the right place. I'm uploading my older episodes of cleaning and crime in podcast form. And once all the old ones are up and I'm caught up, my upload schedule will be weekly, the same day the video version goes up on YouTube. Some of the earlier episodes do have slightly lower sound quality than the newer episodes, and that's just reflective of improving my skills as I went, but also, in the beginning, I only ever intended for these to be videos. So as the episodes progress, hopefully you'll notice the sound quality improving. Trigger warning, this is a true crime podcast. Some episodes may be disturbing to some listeners. Be sure to check the show notes for each episode for specific trigger warnings. Thank you for listening. Enjoy. Today's true crime case is about the murder of Sherry Rasmussen on February 24th, 1986, which went cold and unsolved for almost 23 years before DNA finally proved who killed Sherry. And a big part of the reason why it took so long to get a conclusion in this case was because it appears that the LAPD had misplaced evidence and documents. First, let me tell you about this absolute queen, Sherry Rasmussen, and how she ended up meeting an untimely end. Sherry Rasmussen was born February 7th, 1957, to parents Nels and Loretta Rasmussen. And throughout Sherry's childhood and into adulthood, Sherry was an incredibly hard worker and she excelled in school. She actually skipped ahead a couple of grades and her parents never had to ask her to do her homework or to study because she was just always on top of it. She graduated high school and started college classes when she was only 16 years old. She got a nursing degree and she was super passionate about helping people and taking care of people. Sherry worked full time as a staff nurse at UCLA while she was working towards her master's degree in nursing. And she finished her master's when she was only 23 and was officially certified as a cardiovascular clinical nurse specialist. And she went on to achieve the title of director of clinical nursing when she was only 27. When Sherry had finished her undergrad, her dad Nels bought her a condo, but she insisted on paying him monthly. So every month she would send him a check for the full amount of what the mortgage payment was. So she was totally set up. She was kicking ass. She was a strong, independent woman, well-established in her career, saving lives, helping people. And not only was she brilliant and successful, but she was sweet, nice, kind, hot, and tall like six foot one. So her very striking appearance caught the eye of the man that she would end up marrying immediately. And his name was John Rutten. John described it as love at first sight. They were both at a party with mutual friends and he saw her and he was like, oh damn, who is this tall drink of water? And as soon as he spoke to her, he was like, oh my God, she's nice, she's smart, she's successful, and he was smitten. And it was not long at all before Sherry and John were engaged. Instead of an engagement ring, John bought Sherry a brand new BMW sedan, which I love. Like, as a nurse, she probably didn't want to wear a ring anyway, because they rip your gloves. After a few months, John moved into Sherry's condo, and Sherry's dad, Nels, transferred ownership of the condo over to John and Sherry. John and Sherry got married on November 23rd, 1985, 
they had a sexy honeymoon at the Sandals Resort in Jamaica. And then they returned home, freshly tanned newlyweds, to start the rest of their lives together. But tragically, only three months after their wedding, Sherry was killed in their home. On February 24th, 1986, John and Sherry both woke up around 7 a.m. John had to go to work first around 8 a.m. and Sherry didn't start work till later. So she laid in bed for a while while John was getting ready. And she actually said she didn't feel great that day. So she was thinking about calling in sick. But it was Monday. John knew that on Mondays, Sherry had basically lecture day. She had to teach a bunch of lectures and he knew she was dreading one that day. So he was thinking maybe she wasn't feeling actually sick. So he tried to boost her up and he was like, maybe you should just go, just get it over with and then it'll be done. Sherry said she'd think it over and she asked John to call and check on her later that morning. John went to work like normal getting there just before 8 a.m. and he called home after a couple of hours but nobody answered and the answering machine didn't pick up. Now this was the 80s so you had to like manually turn on your answering machine so it would pick up. So he wasn't sure if maybe Sherry went to work and forgot to turn on the machine or if she hadn't left and was sleeping. So he ended up calling Sherry's work and spoke to her assistant but her assistant said she hadn't seen her that day. But unfortunately that's not helpful information because it was lecture day so Sherry's assistant probably wouldn't have seen her anyway. So John just shrugged and got back to work. I mean, you don't immediately jump to, my wife didn't answer the phone, she's been horribly murdered. Well, I mean, I do, but <laughs> that's because I read too much of this shit. But when John got home from work, as he's walking up to the house, details that were abnormal start jumping out at him. The garage door was open. Why is that open? What is this, glass? There's glass all over the driveway. Where's the BMW? Is Sherry running errands? Is she at work? The front door is open. So he runs into the front door, not knowing what he's running into, and he finds his wife laying on the living room floor. Now he runs to her to see if he can help but Sherry is cold and stiff. She was still in her oversized nightshirt and robe that she was in when John left, and it was clear that she had been violently beaten. John immediately called 911, and the LAPD and paramedics came very quickly. So police began immediately investigating the scene. Sherry had clearly been beaten. Both of her eyes were swollen. She had cuts and lacerations all over her, her head, her face, her body. She had three gunshot wounds to the chest, one that went all the way through Sherry, and it had actually gone through her and hit the glass balcony doors and shattered them. So that's why there was glass down below all over the driveway. Sherry also had a bite mark on the inside of her forearm. The house was trashed. Shelves were ripped off the walls. A large stereo speaker was overturned and the wires were ripped out. There was a smashed vase on the floor. The TV receiver and the VCR were knocked down and were hanging from the TV. There was also a pink and green quilt on a chair and it had two holes and powder burns on it. So it's believed it was used to muffle the sound of the last two gunshots. There was also a CD player and a VCR stacked by the front door. Sherry's jewelry box was in plain sight and untouched. And the only things missing from the home were Sherry's BMW, which was found later just down the street with the keys still in it and no evidence in it, and John and Sherry's marriage certificate. Pretty weird thing to steal. Detective Lyle Mayer was the detective assigned to the case. After questioning John at the scene, he was ruled out. I know it's always the husband, right? But he had an airtight alibi. He was at work all day and there were many witnesses. Now, Detective Mayer takes a quick look around at the scene, a quick and shitty look around at the scene. And he just says, well, this is clearly a home burglary gone wrong. Come on, hurry up, pack it up, we're leaving. What? Now, apparently he jumped right to burglary that ended in homicide because break-ins were very common at that time in that area, as well as homicides. Sherry was the 831st murder that year in LA, so. But this is Detective Mayer's theory that he came up with. He says two guys walked into the house, 
looking for valuables. And while one was unplugging electronics, the other one went upstairs and didn't know Sherry was home and was shocked when he saw her. Then they panicked and they killed her and then they ran out without taking anything. And they used the BMW as a getaway car. Oh, and what? Luckily they took the marriage certificate on the way out? Oh, oh, and bit her. Like what? Come on. It makes zero sense. Detective Mayer was satisfied and he left. Cool. And then the criminologist from the coroner's office came in to take a look at the body. Luckily, this guy was thorough. Lloyd Mahaney was his name, and he determined that the lacerations on her face were from what appeared to be a fist fight. Two bullets were recovered from inside Sherry's body, and all three of the bullets were from a 38 caliber handgun. Mahaney also found marks on Sherry's wrists that implied she had been tied up at some point during the attack with rope or a cord. And there was some cord found at the scene. Two fingernails were missing from Sherry's body and they were found by the front door. It didn't appear that there was any type of sexual assault, but just to be safe, a rape kit was done. And he also photographed and measured the very human bite mark from Sherry's arm. And he also swabbed it for fluids. Very thorough. He also determined that the bite mark, since there was no inflammation or swelling around the wound, was probably created just as Sherry was dying or after she was already dead. Unhinged. Detective Mayer did consider other theories of the crime, but he leaned on the home invasion theory, mostly because the LAPD as a whole all agreed. And then two months after Sherry's death, there was a very similar burglary just down the street from Sherry's condo and two Latino males had broken in and stolen stereo equipment. So after that happened, he leaned even harder into the story and those two suspects from that burglary became the main suspects in Sherry's case and a sketch was drawn up. Come on. Now the night of Sherry's murder, police notified Sherry's parents around 1 a.m. over the phone. And as soon as Nels, her father, got the news, he said, you need to look into John's ex-girlfriend. What's that you said? Nels didn't actually know the ex-girlfriend's name, but he did know John's ex-girlfriend was a police officer with the LAPD. <gasps> now when Nels pushed the detective on the phone to look into John's ex-girlfriend, this is what he says to the grieving father. Dude, it was a burglary. You need to stop watching so much television. Okay, bye. I would be so pissed. Okay, so who the hell are we talking about here? Who's the ex-girlfriend? Stephanie Lazarus met John Rutten at UCLA when she was a freshman and he was a sophomore. They both lived on the top floor of Dexter Hall on campus and a bit of a clique formed with a group of people on that floor, including the two of them. They actually became pretty close friends, but it seems that Stephanie was more into the relationship with John than John was into her. You know what I'm saying? It also seems that they were super not on the same page at all about their relationship. John said they hung out a lot. They made out a couple of times, but they were just friends. They never had sex. He said it was just understood that they weren't dating. They were dating other people. He just wasn't that into her, but Stephanie did not date other people. And she thought John was the best thing ever. And she followed him around like a puppy. She didn't know he was dating other people. And this is why communication is so important. And honestly, I understand why Stephanie thought this relationship was more than it was. Like they went on trips together. She went to his house with his family. She became besties with his sister and with his mother. I'm sorry, John, you can say, oh, we were just friends and she knew that all you want. But if you're bringing her home with you and taking her with you to Thanksgiving and she's getting mani-pedis with your mom, 
What did you think she was going to think? So John graduated from UCLA and he got his own condo. Him and Stephanie remained friends after he graduated. And the summer after he graduated, they slept together for the first time. But they're just friends with benefits now. After Stephanie graduated from UCLA, she still kept hanging out with John, but like maybe two to three times a month. They would sometimes hang out at John's, sometimes hang out with friends. They would sometimes have sex. Stephanie went through the LAPD Trading Academy and then she got her own condo. It was John and his brother who helped her move in. They helped her paint the entire place. She threw him a giant surprise birthday party when he turned 25. All the while, John's seeing other people. And he thought it was obvious, you know? So he never thought to bring it up or have a discussion with her about it. Like, oh, by the way, you know I'm seeing other people, right? Now, Stephanie did know John was not as into her as she was into him. And she complained about it to her friends all the time and wrote about it in her journal. Then suddenly, seemingly out of nowhere, Stephanie finds out in June 85 that John's engaged to some chick named Sherry. He hadn't even told her that he met anyone or was dating anyone. And Stephanie had to find out through a friend. She was devastated because deep down she thought they were gonna end up together at the end. So Stephanie calls John crying and she begs him to come over to talk. Now at this point, John and Sherry, they're engaged, but John hasn't moved into Sherry's condo yet. And Sherry doesn't even know that Stephanie exists. But John agrees to go over to Stephanie's house so they can talk. And when he gets there, he's known Stephanie for seven years and he's never seen her that upset. And it's at that moment where Stephanie confesses her undying love for John. She's like, I've loved you all this time. And I just could not let you get married without me telling you how I felt first. And John was like, whoa, I thought it was pretty clear that we were just friends. <laughs> he told her, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry, but I, I'm in love with Sherry and I'm 100% gonna marry her. And Stephanie's like, okay, you made your decision. But can we just have sex one more time? Just one last time. So naturally John was like, yeah, sure, why not? He was like, I feel bad, you know? I, I completely misread the situation. I led her on. I had no idea that she felt this way. Now she's got no closure. Uh, I guess if I do this one last time, then she'll get closure, she'll be totally over me, and we can both move on because that's totally how that works. And they did. They had sex right then, right there. For closure. John, you are engaged. What are you doing? You dumb dumb. So they sleep together one last time. John goes home, he washes his hands of this, and he's like, great, it's all over. I can move on, marry Sherry, and I'll never have to see Stephanie again. Wrong. A month later, Stephanie shows up to Sherry's work. She walks her little ass right up to the hospital, right to Sherry's office, dressed very provocatively. Like the booty shorts where like half your butt is hanging out the bottom. She goes right up to Sherry's assistant. She's like, mm, I'm here to see Sherry. And her assistant's like, uh, she's out to lunch. She's like, that's okay, I'll wait. She just sits there waiting for Sherry. And as Sherry walks in, she's like, hi, who are you? She has no idea who this girl is, never seen it before in her life. And Stephanie's like, let's go into your office and have a little chat. So they go into Sherry's office with the door shut and they're in there for a while. Oh my God, if I was Sherry's assistant, I would have had a glass up against that door. So after several minutes, Stephanie comes sauntering out, all cocky looking and smug, and she leaves, and it's several more minutes before Sherry comes out, and she's clearly been crying a lot. And she tells her assistant she's just too upset to work and she's going home early. So Sherry goes home and calls her parents and she tells them what just happened. John's ex-girlfriend showed up and she told me he's still in love with me 
And if I can't have him, no one can. And when your marriage fails, I'm gonna be there to pick up the pieces, girl. And then when John got home from work, Sherry confronts John. And she tells John that Stephanie told her John had gone to her house a month ago and they had had sex. What say you about that, John? Now, John did man up immediately. He didn't try to lie. He didn't try to make too many excuses. He was just like, it's true. I am an idiot. He admitted that he fucked up. It was totally his fault. He was a complete moron. And he begged for forgiveness and said, I am in love with you. I want to marry you. I have no feelings for her. I was just trying to give her some closure and I did it in a really stupid way. And I feel really dumb. Please still marry me. And they ended up kissing and making up. She forgave him. And they went ahead with planning the wedding. Meanwhile, Stephanie, <laughs> she sent a sappy letter to John's mother. Mm-mm. In the letter she wrote, I don't know when or if I will ever see you or your family again. I'm truly in love with John and the past year has really torn me up. I wish it hadn't ended the way it did. And I don't think I'll ever understand John's decision. I do want you to know that your family has meant so much to me. Blah, 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 blah. Girl. Smells like desperation. Like everyone in this story at this point is pushing 30. Can we not? <laughs> Then a few months later, in December, Stephanie randomly shows up at John and Sherry's house. Unannounced, uninvited. Also, who told her where they lived? Nobody. She figured that out on her own. Creepy. And she shows up at the front door with skis. And she's like, oh, John, could you pretty please wax my skis for me? Bitch, no! He is just not that into you, Steph. They are married at this point. Wax my skis. <laughs> Later that night, Sherry calls her dad, told him about the skis and how she was super uncomfortable because Stephanie lingered way longer at the house talking to John than was appropriate. I mean, her showing up at all was inappropriate, but Sherry was the one that had to tell Stephanie to get out because John didn't have the balls to do it. So Sherry asks John not to wax the skis because it's weird and desperate and it makes her uncomfortable. But John was like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. She doesn't have anybody to do it for her. It's not about the skis, John. <laughs> she's just still sad and she's lonely. And maybe if I just do this one last thing for her, then she'll move on and she can get some closure and get out of our lives. That sounds familiar. How did that work for you last time, John? You dumb, dumb. A week later, Stephanie shows up to pick up her skis without warning. Like she didn't call ahead to be like, oh, hey, I'm coming over to pick up my skis. And Sherry was getting concerned with how Stephanie was even getting into their community at all. They lived in a gated community where you needed a special key card to even get into the parking lot. Now, luckily this time, Stephanie didn't linger. She just took her skis and she left. But unfortunately for Sherry, John was wrong and Stephanie did not disappear forever now that she had her skis. In fact, Stephanie showed up again, this time in their living room. Like she just walked in. Sherry did not hear her come in. She doesn't know how she got in. And she was standing there in uniform, in full cop getup. Sherry was like, what the fuck are you doing in my living room? And Stephanie's like, oh, I, I'm on a break and I came to see John. I didn't think you would be here at this time. And Sherry was like, oh, get the fuck out of my house and do not ever come back. Sherry called her dad up later that night and told him what happened and how John didn't have the willpower to stand up to Stephanie. So Sherry and Nels sit there discussing like, should Sherry file a report? One of your officers is harassing me and broke into my home, like trespassed in my home with her weapon. 
But she didn't want to inflame the situation. It made her incredibly nervous to think about calling. She's like, A, what if it makes things worse? What if they don't believe me? What if they laugh at me? What if they work really hard to protect one of their own? So she was just hoping that her saying, get the fuck out and don't ever come back was gonna be enough to stop her. Sherry also mentioned to her parents that she felt like she was being followed. And there was one instance where Sherry and John were out on a date at a restaurant and someone at the other end of the restaurant was like staring daggers at Sherry. As soon as she realized someone was looking at her, she was looking and the person that was staring at her when they realized that Sherry had noticed them got up and moved to a different spot in the restaurant. And Sherry described the person she saw as they looked like they were dressed up as a boy. And she also told her parents whoever was looking at her had eyes that could stare right through you. I'm just gonna go ahead and slip in a picture of Stephanie Lazarus right here, okay? Sometimes a picture is worth a thousand words. Okay, so we're all caught up on Stephanie. That's Stephanie Lazarus. Nels, Sherry's dad, talking to the detectives. Look into John's ex-girlfriend. I don't know her name, but I know she's an LAPD officer. Detective Mayer is just like, what? And he did not interview Stephanie. He did not write anything that Nell said to him down in the chronological report. He didn't write down when John mentioned Stephanie's name when he was interviewed. And what's super sketchy? During a homicide investigation, there is a chronological record kept. And the LAPD lost the first three months of the chronological report in Sherry Rasmussen's case file. Poof. And the only time that Stephanie Lazarus's name was mentioned at all in the entire case file is husband John Rutten confirms that police officer Stephanie Lazarus was ex-girlfriend, period. And then the case went cold. Give me a goddamn break. In 1993, Detective Mayer retired and Nels was excited because he was like, maybe we can get a new detective that, you know, gives a shit. And maybe we can find some information using this new cool DNA stuff that everybody's talking about in the 90s, you know? So Nels made an appointment to meet with the new detectives on his daughter's murder case. And they were just like, we don't have any new information and we don't really have any funding to test any DNA or anything. And Nels said, I'll pay for it. I'll, I'll pay for any DNA testing that you want to do. And they were just like, no, thanks. So it was about this time where Nels completely lost hope. He lost hope that his daughter's case would ever be solved and he just quit calling. Meanwhile, John and Stephanie, they rekindled their friendship. Yeah, yeah, but they're just friends. <laughs> so I, I'm assuming Stephanie called him and was like, hey, we should get together and catch up over coffee sometime. And before John went to go actually hang out with Stephanie, he called the LAPD. He's like, hey, I just wanna make sure. There's no chance that Stephanie had anything to do with my wife's death, right? I just wanna double check. John, if you feel the need to call the cops before you hang out with her again, listen to yourself. <laughs> They ended up going on a trip to Hawaii together with some old college friends and went scuba diving. And you guessed it, they did sleep together a couple of times after Sherry's death, but they never officially got together. And eventually they drifted apart. Stephanie ended up marrying a fellow police officer in 1996 and they adopted a daughter together and John ended up remarrying and starting a family. So everyone just went separate ways and moved on with their lives, except for Sherry, of course, because she was killed. 
Now, Stephanie Lazarus, she ends up working really hard in her career. She started out as a D.A.R.E. officer. She even appeared on an episode of Family Feud when they had a week of episodes honoring America's Finest. And she also began working with Internal Affairs, investigating dirty cops. The irony! In 2008, she began working with the Art Thefts and Fraud Department, which was a very prestigious position. And she was Detective of the Year twice. In 2001, crime in L.A. was down. The L.A. Cold Case Unit was created in an effort to go through these cold case files now that they had some downtime and test unprocessed DNA samples. And in December 2004, a lab tech named Jennifer Francis picked up Sherry Rasmussen's cold case file. She got to work testing the blood samples from the house and the fingernails and everything immediately came back as Sherry's own blood. But then she finds a written report that said he had taken a swab from that bite on Sherry's arm. She couldn't find the sample anywhere. And they dig through the entire coroner's office and it takes them six hours until they finally find this scrunched up evidence bag in the back corner of the freezer where it's been sitting for 18 years. The little vial with the swab in it had busted through the bag and it was all crumpled up in there, but the sample was still intact. So she tested it. The saliva from the bite mark was from an unknown female. She runs the DNA profile through their criminal database and she gets nothing. So she goes back to the case file and starts digging through all the notes and she's like, this is a big old mess and things are missing. But she does see a name of a female that kept coming up throughout the notes and it was a nurse that Sherry worked with who she didn't get along with. Sherry had actually like taken her job. So this lab tech, yeah, this is, this is a lab tech doing all of this police work, calls the detective that's on the case now. She's like, well, there is this name, this female name that keeps coming up in the case file. And he cuts her off and he goes, oh yeah, the female LAPD officer, she has nothing to do with this. And now clearly he had more important things to do than his job, so he basically hung up on her. And Jennifer was like, what the fuck was that? She wasn't even talking about a cop, she was talking about a nurse. Why did he say that? But what, what's she gonna do? She's a lab tech. She ran the DNA sample, she got the results, she gave it to the detective, it's his job to take it from there. And he didn't. So, case went cold again. Until 2009, when a detective named Jim Nuttall picked up Sherry's case file, started looking through it. And he reads it as, woman brutally murdered in her home, suspected burglary, two Latino men suspected, DNA sample tested, results female. What, 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 what? So he takes this file to his superior, Robert Bubb, who took this seriously. And he's like, why did nobody follow up on this DNA result? So Robert Bubb assigns two more detectives to the case, Mark Martinez and Pete Barbara. Now they began going through the mess of a case file, trying to eliminate female names based on the DNA. So it wasn't Sherry's mom or her sister or her former roommate. It wasn't the nurse that she had beef with. And the only one they couldn't rule out was Stephanie Lazarus. And they're like, uh-oh, because Stephanie Lazarus works with these guys. She works in the building across the hall and she's a detective now and she's married to another detective. They can't just go around asking a bunch of questions. Like what if they're wrong? What if they're right? So they need to be very secretive as they check this out. They give Stephanie a code name. Number five, they don't write anything down, no paper trail. And they do not discuss this case with anyone outside of their cool new undercover group. One of the guys remembers that in the 80s, LAPD officers carried 38 calibers as their off-duty weapon. So he searched 
the state gun registry and he found that yes, Stephanie did have a 38 caliber handgun. And two weeks after Sherry Rasmussen's murder, Stephanie filed a report that her off-duty weapon was stolen in Santa Monica. And it's pretty shady to me that she filed that report in Santa Monica and not with her home precinct. But now they couldn't prove that her gun was the one that shot Sherry because it was in the wind. And then Stephanie could just say, oh, well, it was stolen. So they needed DNA. They needed DNA to run against that bite mark. Now they could have gotten a warrant for her DNA, but then she would know that they were looking at her. So instead they had two undercover officers follow her into a Costco with her daughter. She ate some pizza. She got a soda in a cup with a straw. Then they watched her walk up with her cup and drop it in the garbage can, jumped up, got that cup with its straw out of the garbage can, took it to be tested, and it matched. It matched. So now, oh shit, now what? Now what? <laughs> so the detectives that have been working this, they know Stephanie. So they ended up getting two new younger detectives that had not worked with Stephanie and didn't know her personally to take over because then there was no bias. So they picked out Dan Jared Miller and Greg Stearns. They go to the DA and they secure a warrant for Stephanie Lazarus's arrest. Then they stage a phony interview in the jail in the basement of the building, which is usually where they interrogate suspects, which is really smart because to go down there, you have to relinquish your weapons. So Dan and Greg then go up to Stephanie and they're like, hey bestie, so we just caught this suspect for some art theft thing. We're big dummies and we don't know anything about art, but we heard that you're the expert. Could you help us interrogate this guy? And she's like, sure. And they walk into this interview room, but it's empty. And they proceed to interrogate Stephanie for over an hour. And the entire interview is on YouTube. You can watch the whole thing and I will link it. There's some notes uh, to see that as far as your name being mentioned. Do oh, you, okay. Do you know John Rutten? John Rutten? John Rutten? Rutten. Right. Oh yeah, I went to school with them. Were you guys friends, close friends? Yeah, we're very close friends. I yeah. Mean, I mean, what's this all about? Well, it's regarding, it's a case we're working on and it involves John and in there, some of the statements we, we reviewed, uh, you know, there's notes and stuff that he, that he knew you and stuff. Oh yeah, I mean, we good friends. Um, Was there ever any relationship or anything that developed between you guys? Yeah, I mean, we dated, uh, uh -huh. you know, um, I mean, is what's this all about? Well, it's relating to uh, his wife. Okay. Okay. Did you know her? Not really. I no. mean, I knew that he got married years ago. Did you ever meet her? God, I don't know. Um, Do you know who she was or anything? Well, I... Let me think. God, it's been a long time ago. Mm -hmm. um, um, I, I may have met her. Jeez. Um, you know. Yeah. I mean, are you guys, is this something, I mean, you said that I was going to interview somebody about art and how well, you guys are, here's, here's <laughs> I mean. Stephanie, here's the situation. It's basically, we, you know, we knew that this, when we saw this in the, in, in this chrono that maybe, you know, there was some relationship there. That's what the chrono seemed to indicate. And we didn't want to come up to you at your desk and ask those kinds of questions or do anything. You know how up there people can see what's going on if you go into an interview room or people are in there getting oh, supplies. Okay. So we, we wanted to afford you some privacy, some confidentiality okay. to talk about this because we thought it might be, you know, something, you know, you're married to someone else and well, you know, your mean, division yeah, to know I about. Mean, you know, God, that's been a million years ago. I mean, you know, I mean, wh wh you know, what's, uh, what's, I mean, what's this all about? I mean, well, let me ask you. 
What ended the relationship between you and John? You know, I don't. It was kind of a weird relationship. I mean, we 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 dated. Um, I can't say that he was my boyfriend. I don't know that he would consider me his girlfriend. You know, I don't understand why you're talking about some guy I dated a million years ago. Well, do you know what happened to his wife? Yeah, I know she got killed. What did um, you What did you hear about that? I, I saw a poster at work. Um, I'm sure I spoke to him about it. Being that you're kind of used to see uh, John, you know, was it everything okay between you guys? I mean, there was never anything uncomfortable or anything between you and her. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's God, it's been so many years. I mean, uncomfortable. I mean, I, I can't even, I can't even remember if we had a conversation. I mean, we may have. I may have. I may have seen her at his apartment, you know, jeez, uh, how many years ago is that? I don't even know what year she, you know, got killed. But you don't remember specifically ever going over to visit him or visit them at where, wherever I, he moved when he left Roscoe? I, I, I honestly, I don't know. I don't think so, but, okay. I, you know, I don't want to say, no, I don't think so. And then he says, oh, yeah, she came over for something, dropped something off. You know, I, I'm, it, I don't know. So if you did go over there, just be like a, a quick thing, like, like you're saying, drop something off or... Was it skis? I bet it was skis. <laughs> Do you know what the circumstances were regarding her death? Mm. Jeez, oh, let me think back. Um, jeez, I don't know if it was, you know, if it was a burglary or something. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's been so many years. I, I mean, I can faintly think that I may have saw a flyer yeah. Uh, may have had her picture on it, you know. Um, I may. That's why I say, if somebody had called me, I may not have known what her last name was. I may have. I mean, maybe if you told me, I would remember it. Um, you remember the first name? <sighs> Shelly, um, Sherry. I don't know something. Maybe you know. Um, like I said, it's been so many years, and at one point, I mean, he may have been dating her. Or, I don't know, maybe he was married. I don't even remember. And I'm like, you know what? Why are you calling me if you're either dating her or living with her or married to her? Because I, I, I honestly don't remember the time frame. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm like, come on, knock it off. And, I'm, and now I'm thinking I may, I may have gone to her and say, hey, you know what? You know what? Is he dating you? He's, he's bothering me. Um, and so I'm thinking that we had a conversation about that. Um, one or two, maybe. I, you know, I, it could have been three. I don't want to say I had three conversations with her. No. Like, I, at, I like at her work or? Because nobody was ever arrested on the case. I, I don't know that or not. Okay. Now, what we'd like to do is, obviously you know about all the DNA stuff and things of the nature that, you know, gets done on cases nowadays. You know, if we asked you for a, a DNA swab, would you be willing to give us one? Maybe. <laughs> Because now, 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 yeah, now, now I'm thinking I probably need to talk to a lawyer. Okay. I mean, well, I because I know how this stuff works. Okay, don't get me wrong. You're right. I have been doing this a long time. Yeah. And and I wish I had been recording this because because now it sounds like you know there's you know you're selling these people say I'm a fighting with her and now <sighs> it sounds like you're trying to you know I've been doing this a long time. Yeah. We know. Okay. And, it, and now it almost sounds like you're trying to pin something on me. No, now I, I got that sense. Well, what it gets to on these, on these cases, and you know it as well as I do, our job is to identify and eliminate suspects. I can't believe this. So if we ask you to the point to give us a DNA sample, a buccal swab, so we can 
identify or eliminate you, would you be willing to do that? Maybe. Because well, I know this. I, 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 I well, That's where we're at, too. I mean, because right now, from looking at the evidence, it's, you know, it's possible we may have some DNA at the location. That's right. And we're going to do what we can to try to put this thing together. And your name's in the book. These people are pointing at you for whatever reason. I don't know why. And that's just crazy. I mean, that's just, that's absolutely crazy. And it would be irresponsible on our part not to look at it. I know. You guys have to do your job. And, and I guess I'm going to have to contact somebody. So. That's fair. I mean, because I, I know how this stuff works. Sure. I mean, I, 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 I just can't believe it. I, I mean, I'm shocked. I'm really shocked that somebody would be blame, saying that I did this. I mean, we had a fight, and so I went and killed her. I mean, come on. Well, That's... Okay. All right. Well, thanks for giving me the courtesy. I wish I could Thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you. She gets up to leave, but there are two detectives outside in the hallway with her arrest warrant ready to arrest her when she tries to leave. Boom! So LAPD Detective Stephanie Lazarus was charged with first-degree murder, and her bail was set at $10 million. Her trial began in 2012. She pled not guilty and has always maintained her innocence. It also came out at trial that Stephanie had three days off of work around the day Sherry was killed, so she didn't have an alibi. And the trial shed a lot of light on the LAPD's misconduct around this case. The criminologist with the coroner's office spent four hours doing the autopsy, taking all those samples, all those swabs, and a good chunk of the evidence from that examination was missing. There were three months of documentation lost. No interviews of Stephanie at all. The original interviews of Nels and of John after the murder disappeared. Get out of here. On March 8th, 2012, Stephanie Lazarus was found guilty of first degree murder. She was sentenced to 27 years to life, plus two additional years for the use of her off-duty weapon in a personal usage, something, something. And Stephanie was also credited 1,000 days for good behavior and for time served, which Sherry's parents attempted to sue the LAPD for their misconduct and how they handled their daughter's case, but the statute of limitations to be able to sue them for misconduct had run out, which is nuts to me. So it took 23 years to find out that it, yes, officially was misconduct, but it's too late to sue for misconduct now that we know it was misconduct. What the fuck? The lab tech, Jennifer Francis, also attempted to sue the LAPD unsuccessfully because of misconduct by the LAPD in this and other high profile cases that she was pressured to alter the results of her findings and that she suffered retaliation and harassment when she tried to report the misconduct to her superiors. And someone tell me why she lost that lawsuit against the LAPD. Anyway, Stephanie Lazarus is a desperate pick-me girl with crazy eyes, and I hope she never gets out. Poor Sherry Rasmussen died horribly after she did nothing. And that's so sad that Sherry's parents had to wait 23 years for any kind of closure and how they were treated so horribly over those two decades. Oh, and John? I mean, I do feel bad for the guy because it's like the police did rule him out completely. They don't believe he had any involvement. He was kind of a dumb dumb, but how did you do in your 20s? You know, and he has to live with the fact that he had sex with the woman who killed his wife. And that can't feel very good. Thank you for listening to Cleaning and Crime. 
If you'd like more content from me or you want to see the cleaning side of things, check me out on YouTube or TikTok or follow my socials, all of which are under the name C. Elise, S-E-E-E-L-I-S-E. If you have any questions or any case ideas that you'd like to share, email me at cleanclean at gmail.com. If you like what you heard, feel free to rate, review, and subscribe. These episodes include my personal opinions, and all information is compiled by me using references that are publicly available. Sources are included in the show notes. All parties described are innocent until proven guilty. See you next time.